think for a minute what life would be like without the resurrection of Jesus. Why so much controversy about an empty tomb? And why so much controversy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. Because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity. It was all a lie and a myth and a fable. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we'll learn in a moment, our faith is empty and we're preaching a lie. But the resurrection of Jesus is real and it is true. And Jesus is alive today, drawing you and me into relationship with him. He's alive. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Hey, welcome to Abounding Grace. In a moment, we'll be joined by Pastor Ed Taylor. Christianity really hinges on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Without it, we'd all be dead in our sins. We'd have no hope beyond the grave. So how do we really know it happened? Skeptics have asserted the disciples or Jews stole the body. Others claim those witnessing the resurrected Christ were hallucinating. And still others claim the disciples went to the wrong tomb. Well, Pastor Ed Taylor will address these claims and more. It's a faith-strengthening edition of Abounding Grace. John chapter 20, and we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. John chapter 20 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we are at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ here in John 20. The empty tomb is proof of God's promises to be true to us. And the empty tomb is God's assurance that Jesus' words are true. And the empty tomb is also a place of controversy. Controversy. So this section of John is, is like celebrating Easter and the resurrection of Jesus. Even though we're not in April, we're not in springtime, it's a celebration of the resurrection. Now, if this, was a, if this was the time of Easter where it's celebrated around our country, no doubt there would be articles all throughout your Twitter feed and on Facebook and on Instagram. There would be articles trying to undermine the resurrection. Now, back in the day when magazines were the thing, Time Magazine inevitably, every Easter season, would have a front page article trying to disprove the resurrection. Why? Why so much controversy about an empty tomb? And why so much controversy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. Because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity. It was all a lie and a myth and a fable. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we'll learn in a moment, our faith is empty and we're preaching a lie. But the resurrection of Jesus is real and it is true. And Jesus is alive today, drawing you and me into relationship with him. He's alive. Not only is Jesus alive, but the Bible teaches us that the very power that, rose, that, that brought Jesus back from the dead is the very power that lives in us. We live in what's called the resurrected power of God in our lives. That's really good news, by the way, because you're not on your own. 
following Jesus. This isn't something that you just kind of pick up and go, I'll give it my best try and I'll do what what I can and, and try as much as I can to be the good man that I'm supposed to be, the good woman I'm supposed to be, the parent, you know, I'll try hard, I try hard. It, it isn't that at all. It's simply living out the life that God has already put inside of you. The power of God to be everything. That, it's not a matter of what we do. It's a matter of who we are. But before we get into some of the texts that we're going to look at, I want to give you four things. I want to, if you're taking notes, jot these four things down. I want to equip you in case somebody comes along, especially around Easter, and starts to say, oh, you don't believe in the resurrection. That wasn't true. It was all, of a, all a lie. Let me give you a few things that have come up over the years to try to disprove the resurrection, and then I'll explain them to you. Number one, one of the things that said that the res- to, to say that the resurrection isn't true is that the disciples stole the body. He didn't really rise from the dead because his followers went in and stole the body. They wanted to somehow create a religion on their own, and so they stole the body. Yeah, Jesus did die on a cross, but he didn't rise again because his followers stole the body. Now, remember this. The tomb was guarded not by one, not by two, not by four, but by 16 Roman guards working in shifts, four at a time. 16 Roman guards. How did the disciples get past them? Well, some people say, well, they fell asleep and the disciples snuck up around them and went around them and they snuck into the tomb and they went away with the body. Well, number one, that doesn't make any sense because if the body was stolen, then the guards would have to pay the price for that with their lives, number one. But number two, remember that the opening of the tomb, the opening of the tomb, which is sort of a small cave in a garden, the opening of the tomb was covered by a stone. They rolled a stone in front. Now, some estimate, I'm going to give you the middle line estimate, that that stone was probably two to three tons in weight. Let's just even say, let's not, let's put three away in two and say it was just one ton. Can you imagine sneaking past the sleeping guards and moving, removing the seal of the Roman government on the tomb and gently and quietly moving a two or one ton stone? It's not possible. And it's not true. Number two, the Jews stole the body. The Jews stole the body. The very ones that set up Jesus to be, and manipulated the Roman government, and set up Jesus to be crucified, they stole the body. That doesn't make sense at all, because a few days later, when the disciples were excited, spreading the gospel, gathering together, and Christianity was spreading at any time, but especially in the beginning, at any time, if the Jews stole the body, then at any time they can just present the body and say, a bunch of liars. We have the body here. We're the ones that took it. And that doesn't happen. And it's never been recorded that it did happen. Number three, here's another one. And this is a funny one. In the appearances of Jesus, some skeptics and critics say, to explain away the resurrection, they say that all the appearances were just hallucinations. As if the disciples lived in Colorado smoking pot all day. Hallucinating. Okay, let's consider that from the Bible, from the text. You ready? Mary Magdalene, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, John chapter 20. Then to Peter, Luke chapter 24. Then he appeared to the apostles without Thomas, John chapter 20. Then the apostles with Thomas, John chapter 20. 
He appeared to other women, Matthew chapter 28. He appeared to those two men on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. Then it's recorded he appeared to seven of the disciples, John chapter 21. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that Jesus appeared to 500 people at the same time. 500 people at the same time. Think of this for a second. This room holds about 1,200 people. So if you split the room down and just this side, that means he appeared to all of you at the same time and all of you were hallucinating. All of you, every single one. There wasn't one that isn't like flipped out at the same time. Not only that, he appeared to James in 1 Corinthians 15 and then for 40 days, he appeared to an unnamed innumerable amount of people for 40 days, Acts chapter 1. It's statistically impossible for every single person that claims to see the risen Christ to be hallucinating, especially 500 at the same time. Now, here's the thing about 500. Well, we've gone into this in depth with statistics in another Bible study, but just for us today, consider this. The 500 people that is claimed in the text, claimed by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to have seen Jesus at the same time, when that was written, most, if not all of them, were still alive. They were still alive in the first century. We don't know how many lived through the first century, but they were still alive so that when the text was written and used as a testimony to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, any of those 500 could say, that's a lie. I was there that day. It didn't happen. And, it was, and we have no, no text whatsoever, no testimony whatsoever that any of these people recanted their testimony. But consider this. So many people in the first century died a martyr's death because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Their belief in his life, death, and resurrection. Now consider this for us. I haven't sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. I haven't sacrificed everything. And I would say that most, if not all, listening to me right now cannot say that you've sacrificed everything for your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But many in the first century and many today have sacrificed everything, including their life, to follow. To follow Jesus in the first century, you would lose your family, you would lose your career, you would lose your house, you would lose your community, you would lose your reputation. You, you would completely be excluded from daily life by simply declaring, I believe Jesus is Messiah, the Messiah promised in the, in the Torah, in the law and the prophets. By simply saying that, you lose everything. And many of, including the 12 apostles, so take a, think of the 12 apostles, minus Judas, add Paul, all but one of the 12 apostles died a martyr's death for their belief. That's it. That's all they died for, just a belief. Just the, the statement, I believe Jesus Christ. I believe in Yeshua as my Savior, as the promised Messiah. Just by saying those words, 11 of the 12 died. James was sawed in two. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. Now, the one that wasn't martyred was, was John. They tried to martyr him by putting him in a cauldron of boiling oil. And he miraculously survived. What was the penalty for him? Well, they couldn't kill him in oil, so what did they do? They banished him to isolation on an island called Patmos, where he received that revelation of Jesus Christ that he wrote down for us that we study even to this day. They gave up their life. I was reading recently in the Twitter feed an interview that was being done, and it's a picture of a man 
after his conversion uh, with a disfigured face. That's what caught my eye in the picture. And I, I didn't click on the article, but I have it here. It says, uh, the next horrific chapter of Umar Mulunde's life, he survived 12 assassination attempts, and this is the disfigurement of his face, and an acid attack after his Christian conversion. I mean, that's happening now. And all that would be necessary, all that would be necessary at the point of death, so many people were put to the martyr's death, and to get out of it, all they had to say was, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. That would save their life. I don't believe in Jesus. It's all a lie. And while I'm sure many did that, so many more died for their faith. So many more even today, so many more even today are suffering atrocious persecution around the world because of their faith, just because of their belief. You know, when Rome was still in charge, all the subjects of Rome were required to bring, a, bring some incense, a pinch of incense, and throw it upon the bust of Caesar and declare Caesar to be God. That's it. That's all they needed to do. Just, yes, I believe Caesar is my God, little g. But believers refused to do that. They would not bow their knee to Caesar. And all they had to do, I mean, even if they wanted to do it as uh, lying, you know, just to lie their way, there was such integrity in the early church that they weren't even willing to lie it or fake it. They said, no way, kill me. I believe in Jesus and I will not deny his name. And that's the work that God wants to do in your life and mine. These appearances were not hallucinations. These were real appearances by Je from Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, to the ones that loved him and gave their lives, so many of them, for him. Let me give you another one. Oh, by the way, if you're looking for, if you want to have your faith stirred, I, I would encourage you if, you, if you're a social media guy or gal, if you're on social media, Twitter or Facebook, search for Voice of the Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs Ministry. And they'll send you daily updates of people to pray for and persecution that's going on around the world, Voice of the Martyrs. There's also a great book, and I think if you search it, you can find a free version of PDF online. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it basically chronicles the first century of those who died for their faith. And that's where we get a lot of insight of where the, how the apostles were martyred for their faith. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And then a few years ago, uh, the music group DC Talk, they put out a series of books, at least one or two of them, called Jesus Freaks. And those are more modern day stories of martyrdom around the world. I mean, it's happening right now. While we're worshiping in the freedom of our country, there are many people that are laying down their lives for Jesus Christ right now. It's one of the things that stirs missions and a heart for missions to know that people are laying their lives down for Jesus, for their belief, for their belief. Here, here's another one, number four, uh, how people try to skeptically undermine the resurrection. Some say that the resurrection, when they came to the empty tomb, some say that they went to the wrong tomb. The wrong tomb. Go to John 20 real quick, because I want you to see this, and then we'll be back in 1 Corinthians 15. But it was, this is what they say. It's early in the morning. They're tired. They're teary-eyed, and they just missed it. They went to the wrong tomb. Well, we know that Peter and John would know which tomb they were at. Remember, Peter and John, they ran, and, and they even raced to the tomb. They raced to the same tomb. We know that because we know the winner of the race. Who was the winner of the race? John, the one that Jesus loved. 
they raced. When they took off on a race, John didn't go this way and Peter didn't go this way. They went to the same place. So they would know. And now notice there's an interesting thing in John 20 that I don't want you to miss. We're going to read it a little bit later, but let's look at it now. Look at John 20 in verse 12. John 20, verse 12. And Mary's standing by the tomb, weeping, it's empty. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. So, so in order for this theory and this skeptical theory to be true, then the angels have to be at the wrong tomb too. Did the angels show up at the wrong tomb? Yes or no? No. You want, you want to know why? Because angels perfectly obey the Father. And they showed up to the right tomb because they knew that that's where the disciples would come from. These are, and there's so many more, but these are so often used to try to undermine faith and so-called experts and, and the so-called people that know more than even God does according to the word, which isn't true. The essential message of the gospel is that we serve a resurrected Jesus Christ, a Savior that's alive, that God is the God of the living and not of the dead, that the promises of Jesus are true, and he proved them. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to 1 Corinthians now, verse, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel message hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's essential, proving that Jesus is the Son of God, God in human flesh, uncreated, eternal, Pick up with me in verse 12, would you? Because this issue was happening in the early church. False teachings were already coming in the early church, and one of the false teachings was there's no resurrection at all. And so, verse 12, Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also vain or empty. If you can write, you like to write in your Bibles, vain simply means empty. Your faith is empty. Yes, verse 15. And we're found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or empty. And you're still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. So Paul, he deals with this false teaching right away and super clear. I mean, even as we do, you know, this false teaching flows through the church. And I've been serving here long enough where I've seen all kinds of weird false teachings flow through this church and coming in. And false teachings are not accept accepted here. You know, wolves, whether you're in sheep's clothing or not, you're not welcome here. You're not welcome to take advantage of this church. You're not welcome to teach your own little doctrines, taking people off. You're not welcome here. The only way you're welcome here if you're a wolf is if you're willing to repent of your sins and become a sheep. That's it. We protect the flock here. We take it very seriously. Like Paul, he gets wind of, hey, they're telling you there's no resurrection? What are they thinking? Of course there's a resurrection. And, and if there's no resurrection, just think about this, he says. Think about this. If there's no resurrection, then, then we're in trouble. Like, take that doctrine to the end. He says nine things. He says nine things that if there isn't a resurrection, that, that we're in trouble. Number one, he says, if there's no resurrection, then Christ isn't risen. He says, number two, our preaching's empty. And your faith is empty, number three. 
And then we're found to be liars, number four. And then if there's no resurrection, then Jesus really isn't alive, verse five, or number five. And your faith is futile, number six. And you're still stuck in the hopelessness of your own sins, unforgiven, number seven. Number eight, if there's no resurrection, then there's no hope of being reunited with those that died before us in all of eternity in Christ. And number nine, verse 19, we're the most pitiable people on the earth. We're worse than unbelievers if there's no resurrection. And you say, why? How can you be worse than unbeliever? Well, you're lost and you're believing a lie. It's worse. You've made up something in your mind. Like if there's no resurrection, then you're the most pitiable because you're trying to live a life in your own strength, in your own energy, and, you, and what you believe in isn't even true. And what does Paul say in verse 20? But now Christ is risen from the dead. Yes, he is. He's alive. And you go to Israel with us of the tomb that they think is most probable, you will find out for yourself with your own eyes. It's empty. He's not there. Now, we haven't met any angels there yet, but that would be kind of cool. Hey, we're just checking it out. What are you doing here, Ed? Just checking out the tomb. Are you kidding? If I saw an angel, I'd freak out. It'd be amazing. It would be awesome. The resurrection is very important. Come back with me now in John chapter 20. As we just look at a few sections before we leave, a few scriptures, we're not going to finish the chapter, but we're taking our time, allowing the Holy Spirit to soak in the beautiful living hope that we have. You know, that's how Peter described it. Peter said that we have been begotten to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. We have a living hope, a hope that has changed lives, a hope that continues to change lives. Because, you know, even if we didn't have all the testimony of the people that saw the risen Jesus themselves, there's the testimony of the resurrection in this room right now of what God has done in your life through his life, how he's brought you out of death spiritually into life. But let's even just say that everyone here today does not have that testimony, and I'm preaching to a crowd that's all unbelievers and all skeptics and all critics. While I know that not to be true, I'm certain there are a few listening in. But let's just say, for the sake of illustration, nobody in here has that testimony. Let me tell you, I have that testimony. I am an eyewitness of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Myself, my, I, and you know, how I, you know how I know that? I was there when I got saved. And I was there when the gospel was preached and God broke in on a young man who was so rebellious and so resistant and so unloving, uncaring, and on and on that list could go. I was there when that young man responded to the gospel and I was, I was actually there the day before he got saved and I was there the day after he got saved. And for 26 years now, I've watched the resurrection power in this young man grow him and mature him and change him and sustain him through the ups and downs. I saw his marriage saved. I, I saw children added to that marriage. I, I saw, you know, what, what in that, that young man, I'm kind of speaking in the third person, but that's my story. This is me. That young man, they didn't think his marriage would last 28 minutes, is going on 28 years now. Why? Because of the power of God. <laughs> power of God. It's amazing. So even if we had no other testimony, you got my testimony of the power of the resurrection. But we know we have yours as well. There is more than enough evidence to support the resurrection as being true. And we can thank God that it is true. 
Well, we've been in the Gospel of John today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the book. To hear today's study again, just visit our website, AboundingGraceRadio.com. There you'll find our podcast, Pastor Ed's blog, a place to contact us and even donate to the ministry as the Lord leads. Again, that's AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is to download our free app, Do a search for Ed Taylor and listen to Pastor Ed when it's most convenient. And this month, we've picked out a book we think you'll enjoy. It's The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the identity of the child in the manger, focusing on the hows and whys of Christmas. It'll serve to reaffirm your faith and help seekers pursue solid answers about the first coming of Christ. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. And we'd appreciate it if you'd remember us in your year-end giving to the Lord. To request The Case for Christmas, please call toll-free 877-30-GRACE or visit us online at calvaryco.store. Again, that's calvaryco.store. Glad you've taken time out for our study in the Gospel of John. We'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.